0: So, um, when we pick, uh, when I pick songs from time to time, uh, it kind of works out in weird ways. I tell you guys this every Sunday, but God always puts things in places, and, and you don't realize it, and I never realized it at the time, because I'm not smart enough to figure that out yet, but, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, uh, Jenny, uh, Best is the one that kind of turned me onto this song. Her and Tina teamed up on me, and, uh told me to listen to this one a bunch, and we played it before, but uh, I just get to thinking about all the things that we deal with on earth, um, in our our families, and in our work, and in our lives, and things like that, that uh, you never can lose sight that our real reward isn't here. It's when we leave here and go home, and uh, that's where it's going to be awesome. Uh, You can have some good times here, but it's going to be amazing when we get up there, so uh, for those of you who know Jesus, uh, the best is still to come. Are you disappointed? Are you desperate for hell? You know what it's like to be tired and only a shell of yourself. You start to believe you don't have what it takes. Cause it's all you can do to just move, much less finish the race but don't forget what I Take joy in the journey, even when it feels long. We'll find strength in each step knowing heaven is cheering you. Oh We're all lost home, brother. come, when our flesh and our bones are no longer between, we are right now in where we're meant to be, when all that in been lost made whole again, these tears and this pain no longer exist, no more running, we're walking just as fast as we can, Consider this our second way. We're almost home. We're all lost, oh brother in not bro.
1: I like that song don't you don't you know that uh, we live this life and when we take our last breath and for the believers we, we go home and uh, as a church we've had uh, we've had a lot of people go home this year I think of Thelma and Wally and Billy Joe and Paul and Randy and uh, this week Lark they, they went home and uh, what a blessing it is to know that this life isn't all that we we have we, we have eternity. Jesus calls heaven my father's house, and uh, we're going in that direction. And so run, run with all you got. Uh, this morning we're in Nehemiah chapter four, and uh, we're in a series called uh, Vision Twenty Twenty, and uh, we've been traveling with Nehemiah as he goes back to Jerusalem. And uh, last week the rubber hit the road; they uh, divided up the wall and they began to rebuild, and things were going good. They had a good plan. Uh, they had a a, a wheel to, to build. And then we see some opposition and some discouragement in life. And, and we can always expect that. Uh, there's always some opposition to the work of God. Uh, one day a, a Quaker farmer was having some trouble with his mule when he was trying to plow the field. And the mule was just being stubborn. He wouldn't even move. And the Quaker decided he would talk to that mule reasonably. And so he said, Thou knowest I'm a Quaker, and thou knowest that I can't curse thee, and thou knowest that I can't whip thee. What thou dost not know is that I can sell you to my neighbor down the road. He is a Baptist, (laughs) and he can beat the living daylights out of thee. And so uh, sometimes we have different ways of dealing with opposition. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, if you want to find your place and stand... Uh, We've been learning a lot from Nehemiah. We've learned some things about prayer, some things about planning, uh, some things about just the the providence of God and how He provides as we follow Him and and do His work. And this morning we're going to talk about dealing with discouragement. Chapter 4, verse 1, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yeah, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be plotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Astadites heard that the repairing of the walls of jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against jerusalem and to cause confusion in it and we prayed to our god and he set a guard as a protection against them day and night and father we ask you this this morning to teach us from your word uh, lord we know that uh, you have given us things to do and sometimes we face opposition and difficulties and sometimes we get discouraged and uh, Lord, just may we be reminded today that uh, you you care about the things that we're doing and working on, and and you're faithful and true, and we can come to you, and we can cry out to you, and and uh, Lord, you can use us, and uh, so we pray you teach us today and remind us that you came that we may have life and may have it more abundantly. Uh, we pray this morning that if there's any that's here that's uh, not saved and not come to Jesus, that this would be the... The, just the, the morning where they turn from their sins and believe upon Jesus. We, we want to see that. This morning we pray for it. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let me make a statement before we get started. and uh, The statement is, is, is that God's work seldom goes forward without opposition. God's work seldom goes forward without opposition. If you want to serve God in some capacity, often you're going to have to face some opposition. Uh, I just want you to know that Satan sees to it. He, he doesn't like God's work going forward. He likes to throw a wrench in the works. He likes to cause conflict and opposition, and we're going to see that in Nehemiah. And so the first thing I want us to notice is just the presence of opposition. The presence of opposition, verse 1 now when Sanballat, now we've, we've heard about these guys. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged. He jeered at the Jews. And so these these uh, enemies of the Jews, they, they, they're not new to us. Back in chapter 2, if you remember, verse 10, uh, when Nehemiah arrives there, it says, But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, uh, servant heard this it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel so let me just kind of review uh Nehemiah was a cupbearer uh, for the king and he heard that the walls around Jerusalem were haven't been rebuilt and there was no security for the people and this was for their shame and so he asked the king and the king let him come back and he's going to help the Jews rebuild the walls. And there's enemies of the Jews. They, they didn't want this to take place. And so in chapter 2, verse 18, he says that uh, we're going to rise up and build. Notice verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, told by the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us. And, and they said, what is this thing that you're doing? And so they, they do not want this wall to be rebuilt and uh, but Nehemiah goes back, and he's got this—he's uh, he got this uh, vision to rebuild these walls, and he begins organizing the people and building their morale, and and uh, they start making some progress on the walls, and the enemy, their displeasure turned to anger, and so here's what I want us to see and know is that success brings opposition, success breeds opposition. Uh, opposition is almost always caused by success rather than failure, so if Nehemiah had just arrived back in Jerusalem and kind of spun his wheels in regards to building the walls and uh, if he hadn 't gotten much accomplished, nobody would have paid much attention to it. But the fact that he had come back and that god 's hand of favor was upon him, and the people began to to get a vision for rebuilding these walls uh, they they were threatened by that, and so some people's uh, some people are threatened by other people's success. Why is that? Well, it's often because we're out for number one and we care about ourselves and uh, we feel threatened by everybody else's success. And uh, some people are just jealous of others, and uh, especially jealous when they're successful. And sadly, we, we even have that amongst churches sometimes. Uh, sometimes there's a church that begins to do well, and other churches begin to criticize them. And they say things like, well, that's a feel-good church, or uh, that's, a, that's a social club. Or Listen, let me say this. If the gospel is being proclaimed, mm-hmm. they are not our enemies. Amen? We might not have the same uh, philosophy of ministry, uh, but if they're proclaiming the gospel, then we're partners. Now you say, what's the gospel? Well, I want to make sure we are all together on that. The, the gospel tells us that we have a God who created us, and we're not an accident. God created us, and He is holy. He is without sin. He is separated from sin. And not only did He create us, but, but He has a design for our lives. And yet we go against His design. We sin. We choose to do it our way instead of His way. And for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our sin has consequences. Uh, The wages of sin is death. Our sin separates us from God. And so we could talk about that, but that's a terrible problem. And and our sin leads to brokenness. And uh, God's not going to allow sin into heaven. That's bad news for us if we're sinners. And so the gospel tells us that God had a a way, uh, He had a plan to deal with our sin. And that plan was to send His Son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God had a plan for sinners. And his plan was to send Jesus. And Jesus would come and, and he would live a sinless life. And then he would go to the cross and become a sin bearer. Or in other words, he would bear my sins and your sins. Or a substitute. Now, we deserve punishment. And Jesus would come and take our punishment. And he took our punishment on the cross. And we know on the cross Jesus died, he was buried, on the third day he arose again. That, that's what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture, he was buried, and on the third day he arose again. And that's the good news of the gospel. And the gospel says that if we'll turn from our sins, the Bible word is repent, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can have our sins forgiven, we can be saved, we can have the, the hope of eternal life. And then we can begin to pursue God's design for our lives. That's, that's our sanctification. So we get saved by faith and, and repentance. And then we begin to grow in Christ-likeness and pursue God's design for our life. If, if a church is proclaiming that, that Jesus is the Son of God, and He's the, 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 the Son of God is presented in this Bible, and that He is the way of salvation, uh, listen, we're partners with those churches. We, we want them to be blessed. We want them to reach people. Uh, listen, there's a lot of people around here lost. And it's going to take more than one church to reach them. And so we we want the best for them. We pray for them. And so success breeds opposition. Let's consider some of the sources of opposition. Verse 2, uh, here's what these enemies say. Uh, they said, in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria. This is Sambalot. He's the governor of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Uh, will they restore it for themselves? And and so he begins with some opposition through ridicule. Begins to kind of mock the, the Jews. And, and probably the easiest way to oppose something is to ridicule it. And so verse 2, these feeble Jews, these weak Jews, are they going to restore the wall? Are they going to be able to revive the stones? Verse 3 Uh, The foxes, if a fox were to climb on this wall, uh, it would break down their stones. So we wonder sometimes why people are so quick to to ridicule others. And the reason is because ridicule is demoralizing and uh, it causes insecurities and it discourages those involved. And part of ridicule most often is exaggeration. So notice verse 2, the feeble Jews... Uh, are you going to revive stones? Anybody, stones don't need reviving, do they? No, they might have been knocked down and pushed down the hill, but they, they're not dead. They don't, there's no life in them. Uh, you, I don't know if you can burn them. And so they, they kind of use some exaggeration. And in the fox, you know, a fox is not very heavy. A uh, fox is not going to break down the walls. Uh, but that kind of ridicule is disheartening. So there's opposition through ridicule. Secondly, there's opposition through just threats of violence. Now notice verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobai and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashtonites, when they heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were angry. And so notice verse 8 they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so they began to plot. We say, we've got to stop this work. And this were some, these were some powerful neighbors. And, uh, and so we, we've already heard of Sanballat. He's the governor of Samaria. Uh, Tobiah is the governor of Ammon. Now we have the Arabs and the ashdodites And just to kind of understand this, Samaria is to the north. Uh, we're familiar with the Sam- Samaritans. Uh, the Ammon was from the east. Uh, the Arabs were from the south, and the the Astrodites were from the west. And so there, there are enemies all around Jerusalem, and they're threatening uh, to come against them, uh, plotting against them, it says in verse 8. Verse 11 says, And our enemy said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So the, the, the Jews were probably thinking, you know, it would be nice to have this wall done, but Maybe we're okay without it. At least our neighbors aren't going to try to kill us. And so there's all kinds of chaos and confusion. And that's, that's the work of the enemy. He wants us to be fearful. You know, there's a verse that I learned a, a long time ago. Uh, you might want to write it down. at Psalm 56.3. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. When I'm afraid, I, I'll put my trust in you, God. Uh, that's a good one, too. You know, the enemy's always trying to bring fear against us. And uh, we we need to run to God. And so uh, Nehemiah, he might have known that psalm of David. And and, uh, so we read about the presence of opposition. And then I want us to notice the priority of prayer. And we've already seen this in Nehemiah. But notice verse 4. This is a prayer of Nehemiah. Hear, O our God, for we are despised by these enemies. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And so Nehemiah immediately runs to God. And uh, and he's done that before. In chapter 1, when he heard about the walls in disrepair, he immediately went and prayed. When these enemies come against him, he immediately goes to God in prayer. Paul said to pray without ceasing. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. That's what we should do. And... Uh, we notice 4 and 5, it's a strong prayer. Nehemiah prays against his enemies. He doesn't pray for them. He prays against them. Now, we, we might we might just try to skip over that prayer. And we say, well, that sounds a little bit different than what Jesus said on, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five forty four. He said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not what Nehemiah does, is it? They say, what do we do with that? We could say, well, that's before Jesus. And, but all scripture is profitable, it's all breathed from God. It's, God has a purpose for all of it. And so uh, I, I was thinking about Nehemiah's prayer. And uh, Nehemiah understood th- this situation in terms of God's reputation. And he was convinced that the restoration of these walls was the will of God. And so uh, he doesn't seek personal retribution for these enemies. Uh, but he asked God to allow his biblical principles to play out now some biblical principles is we reap what we sow, the law of the harvest, and so nehemiah just saying god you you uh you bring that upon these enemies uh, you let that play out in their lives uh because of their opposition uh, He asked God to allow them to experience what the the jews had uh they had Rebelled against God, and they they were punished. They were taken exile, weren't they? And so Nehemiah is basically saying, "Listen, let them receive the the due reward of of their rebellion against you." And he he prays that way. And uh, not only do we find Nehemiah praying in verses four and five, but but when these some call them thugs in verse seven, when he when these thugs. They, When they become angry because of the work, and they, they try to, to fight against it and cause confusion, I, I want you to notice down in verse 9, it says that uh, we stopped the work. Doesn't it? Did you all say that? It doesn't say that, does it? All, is it up there? Yeah. It doesn't say we stopped. It says we prayed to our God. And so prayer is a priority throughout the book of Nehemiah. It ought to be a priority throughout our lives. Instead of stopping the work that we know God wants us to do, we ought to pray. We ought to ask ourselves, is it a priority in my life, and church? Is it a priority for us that when there's opposition to the work that we immediately go to God in prayer? It's, uh, listen, prayer is such a priority if, if we want to see people get saved. Let me just remind you of something. Evangelism is spiritual warfare. The enemy does not want people to understand the gospel. They don't want people to understand that Jesus came to take their sins and he died on the cross for them. The enemy wants people to think that they can work their way to heaven. That they can be good enough. Can anybody be good enough to get to heaven? No. No. I mean, we can do the best we can. We'll never be good enough to get to heaven because God is holy. He's completely, he said, be ye therefore perfect. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 48, be ye therefore perfect as my father. Nobody's perfect. No one is sinless. No one can be good enough to get to heaven. Our God is holy, completely separated from sin, and we're sinners, and, and so God sent Jesus to take our sins. but we have to pray because the cross is foolishness, Paul said, to those who are perishing. You can share the gospel with some people and they, it just they won't understand how God came and went and died on the cross. And so we have to pray that God would open their eyes and their understanding. And so we see the priority of prayer, and, and then don't, don't miss and thirdly, the persistence in the work. Verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah is crying out to God. Notice verse 6 So we built the wall. God, here's my enemies. Verse 6 So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I was just, when I was studying that this week, I thought, you know, some people pray and then they wait for things to happen. Uh, Not Nehemiah. He prayed, and at the same time, they continued to rebuild the wall. He, he put feet to his prayers. And so we, we pray. Listen, we, we're praying for a greater harvest this year, aren't we? We're asking the Lord for 52 people. We want to see 52 people safely. We need to pray, and then we got to get up, don't we? You all with me? We, we can't just pray and sit on our blessed assurance. No, oh, we, we got to get up. we got to go and labor. The, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And and the Lord tells us that it's labor. And so we pray and we sow seeds and we water seeds and we shine our light and we share the gospel. We do both. We pray and we labor. And listen, who's your one? I wrote a little blog about this. I, if I ask you who's your one, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. Listen, I, I love you guys. Y'all know that? I, I love you guys. I, I want... I want to shepherd your heart. I want you to have a heart like Jesus. Did he have a heart for the lost? Think he had like this? Yeah. Listen, he's the one that gave us that parable about leaving the 99 and going after the one. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so I, I want you to have someone that you're praying for and you're asking God, give me an opportunity to go and, and to share with this person. Notice again, verse 6, we built the wall. And the walls were joined to half its height. They're halfway there. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. For the people had a mind to work. Uh, I hate to even say this. Y'all y'all don't get too mad at me about this. But there, there's a problem in the church in a, in America today, and the problem is we're lazy. Huh? Now people don't like to be called lazy. I I know that. I I know people don't like to to be. Called, I don't like to be called lazy, but. Uh, uh, but all ages. I mean, you 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 got something fun going on in the church. You have a cookout or a meal or a water games or I, man, they'll come out of the woodwork. That's okay. I mean, we we want them to come out for that. But you have a visitation night. You are lucky to have a handful show up. You have a prayer night. You have a work day, Jason. You have a work day. You have a handful maybe. And prayer's the same way. People don't, you know, it's no fun in that and it takes a little bit of work and discipline and it's not entertaining and listen, whenever we have a, whenever we have a, a, a special time of prayer, it, we ought to have to have it in, I mean, it ought to fill this room up. Shouldn't it? I mean, if we think prayer's important and, we I mean, we should be the only room we could fit in. I, I tell you, I became a deacon in 1999. I was young and, I didn't really know what all we were supposed to do, but we'd, we'd have meetings. We'd sit around and talk about church business for hours. And we decided we needed to kind of change course because that's not what deacon means. It means serving. And we decided we ought to serve the church and care for the widows and orphans and and uh, meet the spiritual and physical needs of the church. And we'd, we'd change course. And after that, every year, we'd, we'd ask people, and like, I can't serve this year. And I'd say, well, What is up with that? Jesus came. He said, I didn't come to be served, but what? To serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. If we want to be like Jesus, we've got to serve. We've got to serve others. We, we've got to consider others more than ourselves. And, and I, don't, I don't get legalistic about this. We we don't work to be saved. Y'all, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. You you don't work for a gift. Okay? We, I'm not, I don't want to be confused about that, but verse 10 says we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so we're saved, and then we go out and we labor in the name of Jesus. And, and so I, I pray God give us a people who have a mind and a heart to work, and, and especially for the lost. Because they're not just going to come running. We know that, don't we? You know, as I mean, I'm just pick on Southern Baptists. So we wonder why we don't see people baptized anymore. We we don't even have visitation programs anymore. We don't even go and labor, and we wonder why are people getting baptized anymore? Forgive us, Lord. Nehemiah is such a practical book. I want to conclude by just some principles for application. The first one is just go to God go to God we 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 see this Nehemiah uh, and we ought to take it to heart in our lives Nehemiah's first response when he had these enemies was just take it to God and uh, man that would be a good first response for us listen God is interested in every detail of our lives especially when we get discouraged and disappointed and sometimes I get some calls from from pastor friends I have some just awesome friends and sometimes they they'll call and they'll tell me about what's going on and some people that are Just giving them a hard time, and they have some insecurities, and and uh, sometimes they'll say things like, "Well, I I can't take it anymore. I've got to, I got to get away from this." And I just try to say, "You know, listen. I want you to think about God before you do something crazy. Do you think He knows the future? Do you think He cares about you? And do you think He can work all this for good?" Sometimes we have to have a little theology lesson when we're going through difficult times. But listen, God cares. He cares about the sparrow. I mean, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without our God knowing it and caring about. It. He knows the number of hairs on our head. If you're here this morning, and you're discouraged or depressed. Listen, I want you to know there's a God who cares about you, and uh, He He not only knows the future, but He holds the future. Wednesday night, we, we've been going through Philippians four. We're in chap- Philippians. We're in chapter four, verse six says, "Be anxious for nothing." What do we do? We be anxious for nothing, but. By prayer and supplications, let your requ- by thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So don't be anxious and worry, but, but pray. And we can pray because God cares about us. See, uh, prayer is a divine resource. And I, I know, I don't utilize it enough. And that's so foolish. When God invites me to bring all my cares, cast all your cares on Him, because He, he invites me to do that. He invites you to do that. And if you don't do it, it's foolish. And what I find is that when I'm discouraged and pray, I mean, God often sends people, other Christians, some of you. He, he'll send them, and they'll minister to you. I mentioned a few weeks ago, was, we had a lot going on, and sickness and deaths, and, and Jay came by on a Thursday, and he trusted in the Lord, and I told him, it's like battery chargers that God just hooked up to me, and it was like, boom, here. And it just energized me, and God does that. And so Paul told the Philippians to pray about everything. And then in verse 7 he says, The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The more we study the scriptures like Nehemiah, the more that we see that, that prayer is so often a part of God's plan for us when we face difficulties and discouragement. God wants us to, to come to Him. Now, it's not all of the plan. I think He wants us to pray about everything, and then He wants us to do everything we can to resolve our problems. He, he wants us first to come to Him and then follow through with what He puts on our hearts. And so, go to God first. Secondly, deal with discouragement. We live in difficult times, and there are a lot of people who are depressed, discouraged. Uh, just a few practical suggestions for you uh, for what they're worth. I think sometimes our discouragement is, uh, our depression is proportional to the level of exhaustion that we're experiencing. And I've said this before, but sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is get a good night's sleep. And so uh, sometimes, I mean, God has made us in such a way that we need a, some rest and a Sabbath. And so sometimes we need rest and relaxation. And and uh, Nehemiah, I mean, uh, Elijah is a great example if you read First 1, uh, 1 Kings 19, you know, he had this mountaintop experience. And God sends down fire, burns up the, the sacrifice. They kill the prophets of Baal. You all remember that story? And so he, he's a mountaintop experience. And the next thing you know, this wicked Jezebel says, I'm gonna kill you. And he gets de- I mean, he gets fearful. He's running for his life. He's saying, God, I want to die. This is right after the this big experience. And you know what God does? He he gives him some rest. He lets him, he lets him sleep, and then he wakes up, there's some food for him, and he, he eats a little bit, and he goes back to sleep. God is ministering to him through, through rest. You, you read about that in, in 1 Kings 19, and after he gets some rest, then he's better able to cope with the issues of life. And, and maybe that's some advice for some of you, just get some rest. And once you get some rest, then you can uh, begin to nourish yourself on the Word. Uh, Jesus said man does not live by bread alone But by every word that proceeds out I mean so the word of God is our nourishment We need that Some of us need some physical exercise activity Some of you got stressful jobs And uh, you work long hours And it's important for you to have some form of exercise To release some of the emotional tension and stress And so uh, we're in February And I know those uh, New Year's resolutions Have probably long gone uh, but some still need to figure out how to get some exercise. Uh, when I'm discouraged, when people, when I talk to people who are depressed, one thing I often tell them is, won't you do something for somebody else? It, we're often amazed when we do something. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But when we do something for somebody else, we get our eyes off ourselves. And sometimes we realize, well, they got a lot more reasons to be discouraged than I do. And so do something for someone else uh if you, if you, I mean, some people are depressed and they, they have a list of things they need to do and they're just overwhelmed by the list. Here, just do one thing. If you've got a to-do list, just knock one of them out. And when you knock that one out, then that kind of gives you some momentum and you're saying, well, at least I got that one done. And then, then by God's grace, you might be able to work on a second one. Uh, here's one of the, the best medicines for discouragement is, you ready for this? You want to write this down? It's a... It's evangelism, sharing the gospel. And there's been times I'm—I I'm want y'all to test me on this one if you want to. But there's been times where I've just been felt overwhelmed, and I just said I'm not—I'm just going to put this aside, and I'm going to just go look for someone to talk to them about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what—that's the best medicine. Uh, and if you go looking for someone to talk to them about Jesus, God will put someone in your path, and you can tell them about the Lord and maybe share the gospel, and that will just energize and encourage. Listen, I. I dare you to put that to the test. Come back and tell me. And and then when I do that, I think, why do I pass that privilege up so often? Uh, and I'm a preacher. I ought to do that all the time. And you're his children. You ought to do it all the time. But do some evangelism. And then uh, quickly, uh, I, I encourage people to f- spend some time with joy-filled people. Uh, find some positive people. There's too many Debbie Downers out there. And they'll suck the life out of you. You better be careful with them. You you know who the positive people are, and uh, you know in regards to discouragement, two negatives do not make a positive. And so, uh, and, and then it's finally, you know, Romans eight twenty eight tells us, and God says that all things work together for good for those who are who love God and are called according to His purposes. Look for the good that God wants to bring out of your circumstances. Ask questions like, God, are you preparing me to? Maybe I'm going through this so I can help someone else. Or God, are you trying to teach me some things so I'll be a better pastor or husband or father or Sunday school teacher or friend? Uh, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this process? Are you are you trying to equip me for greater responsibilities? <clears throat> God, uh, just how are you going to use this for good? And so often he's got a plan for everything. And so go to God, deal with discouragement, and then Continue the course. Verse 9 says, uh, And we pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And so they, they, they set their minds and their hearts on accomplishing the task that God has given them. And I think one of the reasons that Nehemiah is such a good leader is because he had faith in God. And he had this assurance that the God who gave him this task of rebuilding the wall would stand by him until the job was done. And I just want to say to the church, we can have that same assurance today that God will stand by us as we labor to do the work that he's given us. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.6, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And so I, I want to end by just encouraging and challenging the church to, you know, just to continue the course and keep the faith uh, that God will be faithful until the day that He comes back for His church. And all of that for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for just the encouragement that we find from Your Word. It's, it is life. Uh, your Word goes out. It accomplishes His purposes. And, and there's no doubt today, Lord, that there's some here that may be discouraged. And, and uh, they just need uh, uh, to hear from Your Word and be nourished by Your Word. And be reminded of Your faithfulness your power to, to use all things for good. And, uh, and so I, I pray today that uh, for some, that their first step is just to go to you in prayer and uh, maybe just start on their knees and just cry out to you. Lord, I pray that if there's a person here that's never responded to the gospel, that uh, today might be the, the day where they turn from their sins and believe upon Jesus. Bless this invitation, Lord, we pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand with me this morning and listen. That that one point. If if you didn't get any others, if just go to God in prayer. And and I, I mentioned earlier, sometimes that just sometimes that's publicly. You just you pray and say, God, I, I need you. I, I humble myself. I I need you. Listen, I I believe there ought to be more praying because we need God in our lives, don't we? And if you need to be saved, I'd love to talk to you about that. Now if you need to join the church or observe the lord's supper you're you're invited now to respond to